Friends, it was undoubtedly the darkest day of Thomas Edison's entire life. But despite the tragedy, he was bound and determined to work through it in a positive way. At around 5.30 in the evening on December the 10th, 1914, a massive explosion erupted in West Orange, New Jersey. Ten buildings of the legendary inventor Thomas Edison's plant, which made up more than half of all the buildings he owned there, ten buildings were engulfed in flames. Between six and eight fire departments rushed to the scene, but the fire was being fueled by chemicals, and it was too powerful to be put out quickly. According to a 1961 Reader's Digest article by Thomas Edison's own son, Charles, Charles calmly walked over to his dad as the fire was destroying all of his dad's work, and in a very soft voice, Thomas Edison said to his 24-year-old son, Go get your mother and all her friends. They will never see a fire like this again. After thoroughly surveying the damage, Thomas Edison determined that he had lost $919,000, or roughly $23 million in today's money. The flames had consumed years and years of his priceless records, many of his prototypes. His insurance only covered one-third of the total damage. But after just three weeks, and with a very friendly loan from his dear friend Henry Ford, Thomas Edison got his plant back up and running again. His employees loved him so much, many of them started to work double shifts, and they worked harder than ever. Thomas Edison and his team went on that year to go and make roughly $10 million in new revenue after the fire destroyed everything. Now, family, most historians agree that while this tragic fire was one of the darkest days of Thomas Edison's life, nevertheless, he found a way to work through it in a positive way so that he would end up with something positive rather than something negative. Christian friends, we're going to take our Bibles here again this morning. We're opening to Galatians chapter 2. Here in our exposition of Galatians, we're in a short little two-part series here, looking at one of the darkest days in the history of the gospel. Last Sunday morning, we looked at verses 11 through 16 of chapter 2, and we were considering this tragic situation where the apostle Peter gave a black eye to the gospel. He also gave a black eye to one of the greatest doctrines of the Bible, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And Peter gave a black eye to the gospel when Peter withdrew fellowship from Gentile Christians as a result of fear, as a result of external pressure that was being put on him from these legalistic Jews that showed up from Jerusalem. Now Paul had to confront Peter, and he did so boldly and head on. And Paul had to confront Peter because the gospel is for all believers. The gospel is for all believers, regardless of race or ethnicity or nationality. All believers are just one family under the one gospel of Jesus Christ. Family, last time we were together in our conclusion last week, we were really dialed in on chapter 2, verse 15. In chapter 2, verse 15... 
Three times in just one verse, the Apostle Paul says it again, for the record, that what makes people right with God is not obedience to external rules and religious regulations, stipulations, or ceremonies. What makes people right with God is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible is absolutely clear, Paul said. No human being has ever been saved by doing works of the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And family, it is that doctrine that Peter's actions had called into question. Well, family, this morning in part two of this series on the gospel's darkest day, we're going to look at the remainder of Paul's argument here in this section, which picks up with verse 17 and runs through verse 21 of chapter 2. Now, friends, without a doubt, what made Thomas Edison such a remarkable person was his ability to endure a devastating setback, but then push forward and work for a positive result. And friends, we're going to see this morning, that's what the Apostle Paul did as well. Peter had given a black eye to the gospel. This was a very difficult setback for the cause of Christ and the cause of the gospel. But Paul was determined to hit it head on. And he was going to work for a positive result in the hearts and lives of these Galatian Christians. He needed to get them back on track with the truth. And the only way to do that would be to to defend and reestablish and reaffirm this great doctrine of justification by faith alone. So family, as we come to this great section of Scripture, why should Christians like you and me hold fast to this great doctrine of justification by faith alone? Why do we have to hold on to it and not go backwards into doing religious works of the law? What are some of those core truths of justification by faith. What does Paul make so crystal clear about this doctrine? Not only to his friends, but even to his foes. Well, friends, as we step through the text here this morning, I want us to uncover three foundational truths about justification by faith alone. Three foundational truths that we need to know about justification by faith alone. Here's the first one. If you're going to take some notes in your bulletin this morning, I want you to see this. Number one, it doesn't condone sin, it condemns it. Number one, it doesn't condone sin, it condemns it. Now look at Galatians chapter 2. I hope you have your copy of God's Word. Galatians 2, and I'd like to read verse 17. This is Paul's continuing flow of his argument. Paul says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Now, Christian friends, I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years. And during that time, there is one charge, one accusation that I hear leveled against Christians and against Christianity more than any other charge. And it is the charge that Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. That is definitely the most popular. That is definitely the most widespread charge that you will hear leveled against Christianity. But listen, one of the best ways that you can answer that accusation is to point people to Jesus Christ. 
Yes, undoubtedly, Christians, you and me, we are not perfect. We are just sinners saved by grace, and we mess up a lot. And we don't often live out fully or perfectly what we profess to believe. However, my failures as an individual Christian in no way negate who Jesus is or what Jesus has done for me. Christianity is not about people following me. Christianity is not about people following you. At its core, Christianity is about people following Jesus Christ. And so what I often say to people who level that accusation about Christianity is this. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus isn't a hypocrite, is he? Of course not. Of course not. Well, family, during the early church, during the time of the early church, one of the great accusations that was leveled against Christianity and the true gospel was this accusation that if people are going to be saved by grace through faith and you set the law aside, if you take religious rules, if you take religious regulations, if you take them aside, well, that's going to create an environment for people to go on sinning. It's going to promote more sin. The critics were saying, oh, hold on a second here, all you Christians. You're always talking about God giving grace well, if people are going to receive grace every time there's sin, well, they're just going to keep on sinning more and more so that God will keep giving grace more and more. That was the accusation. And the Apostle Paul had to respond to that accusation many times. Look in your notes. I showed you there Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul famously wrote Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, or absolutely not. Time and again, Paul had to explain that God giving grace in salvation isn't a license for Christians to, to keep on sinning. Well, that same old accusation was being raised again here in this trouble with the Galatians. Here Paul was preaching the gospel, justification by faith alone. You're made right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ alone, by faith in Christ that's how you're made right with God, not by religious rules, not by religious regulations. And the critics said, well, hold on. If you're going to get rid of the law, if you're going to get rid of all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, well, that's going to allow people to remain in sin. That's going to even encourage people to stay in sin. But look at how Paul answers that in verse 17 of our text. But if we... While we seek to be justified by Christ, if we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. If these legalistic Jews were right, and Paul and the rest of the Christians were a bunch of deplorable, depraved sinners, by following Christ, rather than by following all the Jewish laws, does that make Jesus Christ a promoter of sin? Is Jesus a promoter of sin? Is Jesus a teacher of sin? Is Jesus a minister of sin? Well, Paul says that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Who in their right mind would ever say that Jesus Christ is a sinner or a promoter of sinful living? Jesus was no propagator of sinful lifestyles. Nothing could be further from the truth. So family, here's the main point. Paul wants the Galatian Christians to know 
when somebody exercises faith in Christ for salvation, when they finally do break free of all the chasing of religious rules and all the law, when people break free of that, there is a sense in which they acknowledge to themselves that they are a sinner. They are a sinner. They come to grips with that fact. When you stop trying to pursue your own self-righteousness through the doing of all the rules of the law, when you stop doing that, you do acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. But the moment you acknowledge that, that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is an agent of sin. That doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow encouraging you to remain in a state of sin. Justification by faith doesn't condone sin. It condemns it. It condemns sin. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for sins. Christianity has at its very heartbeat this, this doctrine of justification by faith alone. And that doctrine doesn't promote sin. It teaches the punishment of sin. As Jesus Christ went to the cross and took our sins upon himself, that the sins would be punished there. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and he paid it in full. And that's the truth that we're trusting in. That's what we're trusting in for our salvation, that Jesus died for our sins. Now, family, moving on, I want to show you a second truth here that Paul highlights in this section. He makes it crystal clear. Paul is reaffirming the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That's what Peter's tragic behavior called into question. And so Paul's got to come behind and reassert this doctrine. So what is it about justification by faith? What do we need to know? Here's number two. It makes us dead to sin and alive to Christ. Number two, it makes us dead to sin and alive to Christ. Look back in our text here. Look at verse 18 down through verse 20. Paul is continuing his argument. He's continuing to explain. Verse 18, For if I build again... Those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, friends, here in verses 18 to 20, we're listening to Paul. Paul is explaining, he's defending that the true way to salvation is not by religious rules, religious regulations, which these Jewish legalists were trying to get the Galatians to go back to. They said it wasn't enough to believe in Christ. You also have to do all the religious rules and regulations of Judaism. And tragically, Peter got caught up in that. And so Paul has got to reaffirm, no, no, we don't do that. The way to salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. To go backwards into doing works of the law, Paul says that's not the way to spiritual life. That's not the way to spiritual uh, salvation. That's just the way back into spiritual death. That's the way back into captivity. 
And Paul says, why would you want to rebuild the structure? Why would you want to rebuild the building that kept you a spiritual captive? Now, family, right now in my house, I've got two toddlers, and wow, man, what an adventure that is. I mean, put yourself in our shoes. We've got two college kids and two toddlers in the same house. I mean, you want to talk about an adventure. And day by day, Heather has Carter and Hadley home every day. And so it's quite an adventure. But without a doubt, my two toddlers, their favorite thing to play with right now is building blocks. And my wife has this giant bin full of these giant, they look like Legos, but they're way bigger. They look like, they look like crazy Legos. They're giant. And they're all different colored, multicolored plastic bricks. And, and they'll build walls with the bricks. And they'll build robots with the bricks. And they'll build uh, guns with the bricks. And any other thing they build, they, they, anything they can imagine, you know, they, they build. Now, I remember back when I was a kid, and I think for many of you, when you were a kid, you might remember some of the blocks that you played with. They were made out of wood. Now, if they got real old and your church was lazy and they left them in the nursery too long, you'd start getting splinters off of them, so that was bad. But they had wooden blocks, you remember? And they were carved. And the front of them had like a letter carved in them. And I remember when I was a kid growing up in church, if my, if my parents had a meeting and my brother and I were sitting there bored, we'd go in the nursery and play with all the nursery toys. And we would go in there and we'd find those blocks. And the way we would tease each other is we would take the blocks and we would make the blocks spell words so that we would make fun of each other. And we would spell the word dummy. And we would spell the word moron. And then we would turn it around and, and show each other. Family, here in verse 18, Paul is using this analogy of building. When he talks about people who would want to revert to the law as a way of salvation. Paul is explaining to the Galatians, I've spent my whole ministry life preaching that works salvation is wrong. I've spent my whole ministry career breaking down that building that you can't be saved by doing works of the law. And Paul says, if I were to go back to the law and go back and rebuild what I've already destroyed, all I'm doing is building something that makes me a transgressor. In other words, it makes me a sinner. It makes me a lawbreaker. Imagine taking those building blocks, and you get out all the right letters, and you build this little wall. Then you spin them around, and guess what word it says? Transgressor. Sinner. Lawbreaker. Paul says, why would I go back to the law? Why would I go back to the law and put effort into going back and rebuilding this edifice? All it tells me is I'm a lawbreaker. All it does is tell me I'm a sinner. It just tells me I'm a transgressor. Every time we come face to face with the holy law of God, we don't get good news. We, you and I do not get good news from the holy law of God. You know what we get? The bad news that we are sinners. Every time we come face to face with the law, we find out the truth. We're sinners. We're lawbreakers. We're transgressors. We're under God's righteous condemnation. 
That's not the way to salvation. That's not good news. Paul wrote over in Romans 3.20, I gave you the scripture in your notes. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law, look at this, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, friends, the Bible teaches that the grand point of God's holy law is not to save us, but to show us our sin. That's the grand purpose of the law. Not to save us, but to show us our sin and that we don't have the power to save ourselves. So if all the law shows me is I'm a sinner, I'm a transgressor, transgressor, I'm a lawbreaker, and I can't save myself, what's the answer? What's the answer for me? What's my hope? What's my help? The Bible gives us the answer. It's Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ alone. That's your only hope. The answer is Jesus. And what Jesus did for me through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is why Paul goes on to say here in the verses we read. Look again at verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, friends, there's a great truth. I want to unpack this here for you so you can see it. So you can really understand what Paul is explaining here. I want you to use your imagination for a minute. I want you to imagine that a burglar or a robber breaks into one of the homes in your neighborhood. And one of your neighbors is killed in cold blood. 911 is called, police are dispatched, and the killer is quickly captured. They are tried and convicted in a court of law, and then that killer receives lethal injection under the laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Once that convicted criminal has received the lethal injection, once that criminal is dead on the table, once justice has been carried out, does the law have any further claim on him? Once justice is done, the injection has been given, the guy is dead, do the laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania have any more bearing or weight on that dead guy's life? The answer is no. No. The law served its purpose. Justice was served. The criminal is dead. The law has no further claim on that person's life. Christian friend, Paul wants us to know that the exact same truth applies to you and me as believers. That same process has happened for every single Christian through our relationship to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that every Christian has such a spiritual union with Jesus that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. Spiritually speaking, 
When he died on the cross, we died with him. When he died, we died. Our old sinful self was there dying with him. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and our sinful selves being there with him, justice was done. Scripture says the, scripture says the wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were paid for. We died, spiritually speaking. We died with Christ. Justice was done. So just like the laws of Pennsylvania have no more power or authority over the life of a dead criminal, so Paul says, the Bible says, the law of God has no more power or authority or controlling rule over us. We've trusted in Christ. We are united to Christ. Everything that Christ did was for us. Look in your notes, Romans 6, verse 6. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, look at this, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So friends, why is justification by faith so important? Why is it so essential for you and me? It's so essential because faith is what unites us to Christ. How do we get what Jesus provides? We get it by faith. Faith is the connection. Faith in Christ is what brings us union with Christ. And therefore, everything that Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection is for us. Look in your notes. i got a wonderful quote for you there by Dr. Tom Constable. He said, the believer did what Christ did. When Christ died, I died. When Christ rose from the grave, I rose to newness of life. My old self-centered life died when I died with Christ. His Spirit-directed life began in me when I rose with Christ. Therefore, in this sense, the Christian's life is really the life of Christ. Friend, isn't that so encouraging to you today? This is the joyful truth of justification by faith. So family, make sure you see how all of this fits in the flow, the context of the letter to the Galatians. Here were these Jewish legalists. They were telling the Galatian believers, oh, it's really nice that you believed in Jesus. But they said, that's not enough. It's great you believed in Jesus, but you also need to do all the rules and regulations of Judaism. If you want to be right with God, you've got to be Jewish too. And the external pressure to follow along all the rules of the law in the Old Testament, the pressure was so great, so intense, that even the mighty Peter started to crack. Even Peter was buckling under the pressure to do Jewish laws along with believing in Christ. And that's why Paul had to stand up and say, No! No, we can't do that! We can't do that! We can't rely on what our efforts are to follow the law. We must have justification by faith alone. 
because it's by faith alone that connects us to Christ. And with Christ, we have everything, and without Christ, we have nothing. With Christ, we're redeemed. Without Christ, we're still condemned because all the law does is condemn. Paul says we can't turn our back on justification by faith alone. Our connection to Christ is everything. Through our union with Christ, we die to sin. And through our union with Christ, we have the risen new life to live. And so Paul says, this life that I live daily in the flesh, what does Paul say? I live by faith. I live by faith in this great Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me. Friends, that's one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. I hope you'll star it, underline it, mark it for yourself. Well, Paul has unpacked for us these two foundational truths that they've got to be championed again and again. We aren't justified by religious laws or law-keeping efforts were made right through Christ. Why? Why is this so important, number one? Because justification by faith, it doesn't condone sin, it condemns it. And number two, justification by faith means that we're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ. Now, number three, it gives us real righteousness that the law never could. Number three, it gives us real righteousness that the law never could. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now friends, this last Memorial Day, I had to go run some errands around town, so I decided to take my little boy Carter with me. And we went to the grocery store, had to get some odds and ends, and when we finished up, I told Carter that because he was such a good listener... Because he was a good boy, well-behaved, I told him he could pick out a soda and he could drink it on the way home. And so he takes his arms and he moves the big door to get, you know, those sliding cooler cases. And he reaches in with his little hands and he pulls out an orange crush soda. And he's got both hands on it. I mean, he's just got, he's a little guy, so he's got his hands wrapped around this giant, it'd be like me holding a two-liter bottle. That was him holding this little 20-ounce soda. So, so we're trudging along, going towards the register. He's got this orange crush in his hand. And all of a sudden, he spies with his little eye M&M's, chocolate M&M's. And he's holding the soda. He says, Daddy, I want some M&M's too. I mean, when you're a toddler at his age, you want to have your cake and eat it too, right? Or in this case, you want to have your soda and your candy too. Well, as a good dad, I said, Carter, you can't get both, son. You, you can't get both. You can have one or you can have the other. You can get the candy or you can have the soda, but you're not going to have both. You're going to have to pick one. If you, if you want those M&Ms, you're going to have to set that orange soda aside. I said, but it's your choice. I said, you get to pick. It's one or the other. Now, family, look with me at verse 21. Paul is holding out this doctrine, justification by faith alone. He wants the Galatians to understand that if they're going to revert to the law, 
If they're going to go back along with the Jewish legalists and go back into all the performances required under the Jewish law, if they're going to do that, then they're going to be turning their backs on salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And Paul says to do that, you are setting aside the grace of God. Just like Carter was on the verge of setting that soda aside in favor of something that was not going to quench his thirst, these Galatian believers were on the verge of setting aside the grace of God. And it's only the grace of God that leads to salvation. You see, you don't get to hold on to my works righteousness in one hand and the grace of God in the other. Paul says, take your pick. It's either you earning salvation by law-keeping, or it's you saying, oh, by the grace of God, I will be saved through faith in Christ. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God to go back to law-keeping. You see where he said that in verse 21? I do not set aside the grace of God. Why? Here's the explanation. For, see it there, F-O-R, that's an explaining word. Here it comes. For, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Friends, let that soak in. If the way to be right with God eternally is by keeping and performing all the rules and regulations of the law by your own efforts, if that's the way to go, then guess what? You don't need grace. You don't need God's grace. You nullify it. You exit out. You set it aside. But not only does law-keeping as a means of salvation, not only does it extinguish God's grace, look what else Paul says. You know what else it does? It essentially wipes out the death of Jesus Christ. If you and I can get ourselves to heaven by being religious and doing religious things and following religious rules and regulations, guess what? You don't need Jesus then. Then you don't need the death that Jesus provided for you. So in other words, if you're going to go to law, if you're going to go to being religious, keeping all the religious rules and regulations so that you can do righteousness yourself, then you don't need Jesus. You don't need what his death provides. And that means he died for nothing. That means he died in vain. His death was empty. That's what you're saying when you choose works-based righteousness. Friends, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a Christless Christianity? A Christless Christianity. A Christianity that doesn't require the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross for sinners. That is outrageous. That is outrageous because Christianity at its very core is this recognition we cannot save ourselves. And we need God's grace. And the only way we get God's grace is through the instrument of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. So many people are out there today still trying to get it done themselves. They're going to try to do religion themselves. They're going to do morality themselves. They're going to try to work hard themselves. Do whatever they can do. Make their good outweigh their bad. Maybe that'll make them right with God. Friends, we need Christ. We need Christ. 
Only Christ can provide what we need. And the way we tap in to what Christ provides is by faith. And so this is why Paul had to stand up so strongly to Peter. Because by Peter's actions, he was calling justification by faith into question. This was no little tempest in a teapot. This wasn't Paul making a mountain out of a molehill. No, Peter was calling the very gospel message into question. Well, friends, as we conclude here this morning and finish up with our last few minutes here, let's do so with some application, just some significance here for our own lives. What relevant lessons can we take away for our lives today from this text? I'm just going to show you three quick lessons here. I hope you'll jot a few thoughts down here. They won't be on the PowerPoint, so just jot them down as you listen. Here's lesson one. Scripture's clear. We are not saved by our own efforts. We're not made right with God through morality or good works, being religious, attending church, being baptized, or having your good outweigh your bad. That's not the way to salvation. That's not the way to forgiveness of sins. The answer is Christ. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. If you're here today and you're listening to this message and you're not a Christian, it's time to stop your boasting. It's time for you, dear friend, to stop trying to earn your way to heaven because it cannot be done. There's only one way to be right with God, and it's through Christ. It's to cast yourself upon the grace of God and to receive God's salvation that He gives to you freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. You are never the answer. Jesus is always the answer. He's the answer today. He's the answer tomorrow. He's the answer forever. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. That's lesson one. Now here's number two. Those of you listening today who are believers, this portion of Scripture ought to stir up in you, Christian, such a great appreciation for your union with Jesus Christ. When you stop and consider what you have in your spiritual union with Jesus Christ, you should be stirred to such wonder, to such gratitude, to such worship of Jesus that your heart ought to nearly explode with thanksgiving for what you have in your union with Jesus Christ. You're united to Jesus by faith, and through that Jesus took your sins upon Himself your penalty, your guilt, your punishment, and now you're free. The debt's been paid. Your old man is dead on the table. The law has no more further claim on you. You are now alive in Jesus. That all happens because of your union with Jesus Christ. Christian, every spiritual blessing's been imparted to you now and for all eternity because you have a union with Christ. Christian, take a moment today. And be thankful for that. Think on that. Let that drive you to worship, to rejoice, to give praise through faith in Christ. You have everything you need for a spiritual life and for godliness and for this glorious salvation. It's all through Christ. It's through your union with Jesus. So celebrate that today. And here's lesson three. You know, the Bible tells us this great truth that we've been studying today that we have this union with Jesus. Through Jesus, our old selves died, and now we are living a new life. We've raised to new life. 
in view of that truth, Christians, well, then you and I ought to be in pursuit of that new life every day. You and I as believers ought to be living the new life in Christ daily. Colossians 3 says, If you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of earth. Listen, instead of holding on to all your old patterns, all your old habits of sin, Christian, you should be laying all that dead stuff behind. Why? Because you're dead to it. That was the old you. That was the you before you were a Christian. All those old sinful patterns and habits, that stuff died with Christ. We're to leave it behind. We're now to live the new life that Christ has given to us. You know, it makes me sad. Too many Christians today, I think, are like the man who went out to play golf with his friend Charlie. The man told his wife that he and Charlie were going to go out and play 18, that he'd be home by dinner. Well, 7 o'clock came, the man wasn't home. 8 o'clock, not home. 9 o'clock, not home. 10, not home. Finally, 11 o'clock p.m. The man comes staggering in. He's drenched with sweat. His clothes are all dirty. And his wife says, good heavens, honey, what happened? And the man replies, well, we're out there playing golf and everything was just fine until the eighth hole. And that's when Charlie had a heart attack and he, and he died right there on the tee. And the wife says, that, that's just terrible. But why are you all sweaty? And where have you been all this time? Did you help get his body to the hospital? And the man replied, no, I paid good money for that golf. So from the eighth hole on, I'd hit the ball and drag Charlie. And I'd hit the ball and I'd drag Charlie. And I'd hit the ball and I'd drag Charlie. Christian friends, you've been raised with Christ in new life. Seek that new life every day. Live that life every day. Put on the new self daily. Leave behind your old sinful life. And for heaven's sakes, quit dragging Charlie. By the power of Jesus Christ, live your new life every day. Believers, we're going to close now. I hope this second message on the gospel's darkest day, I hope it's been an encouragement for you, not only for a, a better understanding of justification by faith alone, but especially for you to see how it's the anchor point of your life and how it is so critically connected to our union with Jesus and what that means for the death of our old selves and the rising of the new self to live this new life in Christ. Family, 103 years ago, Thomas Edison had one of the darkest days of his life when his workshop exploded and burned to the ground. Thankfully, he had the knowledge and he had the fortitude to overcome it. And in the very same way, some 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul faced a dark day. It was the dark day that Peter nearly burned the unity of the church to the ground by his actions. The way that Peter gave a black eye to the gospel. But praise God, Paul had the knowledge and he had the fortitude to overcome that setback and not let that tragedy have the final say for the life of the Christian church. So believers, as we go out to a new week, let's make sure each one of us Let's make sure we have the necessary knowledge and understanding of justification by faith alone. It is the heart and soul of the Christian gospel. 
but then let's make sure we've got the guts, the fortitude to stand up and not let error have the final say. In every generation, there are false doctrines that darken the skies. They threaten the gospel message. So may God help us, you and me, to be heroic believers who always dare to defend and declare the truth. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.